This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Jake Burns. How you doing, Jake? Good, John. Good, John. Excited to get going, man. It's been a long layoff between games. Thursday night games are fun, but I'm, I'm ready to watch some football again, buddy. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it, it certainly feels like forever since we recorded at this point. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I've, I've tweeted out yesterday, I've done a ridiculous number of podcasts, broken down every angle I feel like I can break down to the first three games and covered about every different schematic decision that was made so i need something fresh (laughs) yeah i hear you all right all right uh well let's uh jump right into it then um you know we're we got the raiders coming up i'm very excited obviously with uh baker getting his first official start um you know what do you think of these raiders they're obviously zero and three and that's what everybody sees and and there's an expectation that um you know that that they should the browns should be able to handle oakland pretty easily in terms of what they people presume Oakland is versus what they actually are. I think they're probably one of the better winless teams in the NFL. They, yeah, they, they play really hard. They've been out in front in each of these three games leading at halftime of each game. Um, but it is, is something going on in the second half. They're not getting after the quarterback as well as they obviously would have been had they kept Khalil Mack. That's obviously a point of contention out that way. And they're a little thin at certain positions, but the talent is there. This might be the best overall wide receiver group the Browns have faced this year in terms of talent from top to bottom. Um, Whoa, hold on here now. Uh, you, you, even over the Pittsburgh Steelers, you think? Yeah, I think that Pittsburgh obviously has two really good receivers, but I think that you see – Amari, Jordy, Martavis, Bryant, and then Brandon LaFell. It's a really good top four. So, gotcha. I mean, obviously Pittsburgh's top top two guys are better. I'm, I'm not saying that by any stretch. But it's just a deep wide receiver group that they can go to uh, quite a few different guys if they want to. Even Dwayne Harris is a fine player too. So, yeah. I love Jordy in the slot. I'll tell you that. Yeah, they're, they're using him well. And he still has life in his legs if, if you've been able to watch any of their tape. He he's concerns me a little bit. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. I do know that they're thin in, in their pass rush department. They have Bruce Irvin coming off one end and the rookie Arden Key coming off the other end. So 
they they out in Oakland they did a podcast with Ted Wynn just earlier this week and they they seem to think this is a game that they can bounce back. I mean, everybody you see, no matter how good we think or perceive Cleveland to be now going forward, everybody who sees the Browns sees a win on their schedule. So they see, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. They see p- potential ways to uh, jump back and 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 get in the win column because their backs are against the wall. Zero and three team in there, you know, tough place to play, tough environment in Oakland. So you know that's that's kind of where I view it. What do you think, John? Uh, well, yeah, I agree with you 100%. Uh, you know, they were up, uh, they're up even in the fourth quarter, these last two games, uh, you know, and they just can't seem to sustain it. Um, you know, reminds me a little bit of the Browns last year where, you know, they're, um, you know, not, they're not the 2017 Browns. But uh, what I am saying is that, uh, you know, the first thing that jumped off the screen when I was looking at the uh, game just from a box score standpoint is, you know, they outgained uh, and really outplayed Miami in just about every category last week except for turnovers. Yep. <laughs> so we know a little bit something about that, you know. Um, so in uh, and, and just watching them, uh, they're definitely better than 0-3 would seem to indicate. Uh, so uh, I don't think that this is something where we just come in and should expect to win. Um, I do think we have, uh, you know, they're – they're in a tough spot over there. They're about to leave, you know, to Las Vegas. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that, that some of that fan base is upset about the Khalil Mack trade. I would, you know, I would be for sure. You know, I remarked probably on our first episode, thank you, John Gruden, for making our schedule easier by trading Khalil Mack. Um, and certainly they have suffered for that. Um, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, I do uh, I do like our chances, but uh, at the same time, it's a road game. It's in Oakland. Uh, you got the funky field. Um, and we'll kind of see how we go, you know, but I, I do have high hopes, but it's definitely not something where I'm taking anything for granted, which would be silly as a Browns fan anyway. Uh, but even, you know, in our high hope state right now uh, with Baker starting, it's just not something that you should be taking for granted. Because you know, I'm with you. I think it's, it's a perceived game on both sides of the field. Browns fans perceive this one as they can win. You don't get this all too often, you know, where, where Browns fans perceive that they should win, even though they're getting points, obviously. I mean, getting points thing is anytime it's a home team getting points and it's, and it's right around the two and a half, three number, it's almost a pick them. They're just giving the home field the, uh, you know, the advantage there is kind of the, the wrinkle between. But sure. but it's a game both teams think they should win. I mean, Oakland doesn't perceive Cleveland as being any better than they've been. That's the vibe I've received. So, and the Browns think that Baker Mayfield changes things. This fan base does. And I, I respect that opinion. So, it's it's going to be interesting. It's, it's, it's rare you go into games without a clear underdog, especially with the Browns. I mean, we had one last week, but it's it's sort of rare where we, we feel like it's a new feeling for the past three years that we we should win this game. So it is it is going to be interesting. But let's dive into uh, what the Browns do well and what the Raiders do well. Um, you know, I think I think that the Browns have the obvious answers here is going to be we saw half of what the Browns offense can be. You know what I'm saying, John? What do you what do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Baker came in. You know, I don't have the numbers exactly in front of me on uh, the total offense. You know, obviously he had, what, two, uh, you know, 200 yards and uh, a little over a half. 
but we also had good rushing numbers over that time. So, you know, uh, I don't have that right in front of me, but, uh, you know, if you extrapolate what we did uh, against the Jets, uh, that's some serious offense. Uh, and we are certainly not used to that. So, you know, I think that um, if the, the Raiders haven't been very good uh, getting after the pass, um, getting uh, the pass rush going for them. Uh, so I think that uh, there's certainly opportunities there for the Browns to keep things moving. But, uh, you know, it's hard to project and not feel like a homer because I do feel like we can move the ball here. And uh, if, if the second half of the Jets game is any indication, uh, we're about to see some Browns offense that uh, none of us are used to at all. Yeah, for sure. It's, as I look at this outline, I think I had the Browns at a little over 230 yards and a half with Baker Mayfield. That includes the drive right before half. But so, you know, a half and a drive's 20, 20, 25 minutes or so. Um, of, of quarter action. There actually be 28 minutes or so. Anyway, yeah, he, he was fine. He was good. They, they, they moved the football. If you extrapolate that over four quarters, you're looking at a pretty successful offense. So that'll be interesting. I, I think you'll, you'll feel like the, the team has totally changed in terms of how they attack, and that's probably true. Schemes will be the same, but they'll attack differently. They'll add some wrinkles that Mayfield's comfortable with this week. Got to unlock the... Um, playbook not necessarily the playbook but the creativity that Todd Haley can bring you'll see a little bit more of that so that, I mean that's specifically what I'm paying attention to is how the Browns offense handles going into uh, Oakland the black hole there and, and, and being able to move the football uh, well consistently all the above is the Raiders plan for Mayfield it is the big piece of contention with the Jets was they didn't get to plan for Mayfield and while I think that's a little overrated in terms of all you have to do is turn on preseason games to get a feel for him. They, Oakland does have a slight advantage in getting regular season tape on him and seeing how the Browns structure an offense, even if it was a quick offensive, you know, on-the-fly adjustment. This is what they like to do with him. Here's where he threw the ball a majority of the time. I charted that he threw it a majority of the time to the right, not that he can't throw it to the left. And sometimes those things just take, you know, just take a hold in a game. It's not like the Browns are designing to push the ball to the right side. It just, it happens that way. Sometimes it's not anything uh, planned necessarily. So it will be interesting to see. I'm, I'm certainly going to try my best not to live or die with the result of this game because it's you know, an instant reaction world, but having some tape on Mayfield will help Oakland. Oakland obviously has had no trouble getting the ball downfield through the passing game. Derek Carr only has a couple touchdowns to his, uh, five interceptions, I believe. So it's been between the 20s. Oakland's been really good, but they have not been able to punch the ball in, you know, via the goal line situations. Yeah, I think it looks like Carr has a couple touchdowns, five interceptions. So they haven't really been able to do what they want to. I mean, Marshawn Lynch has three rushing touchdowns. He's only averaging three and a half yards a carry, 170 on 48 carries. But I think Oakland would tell you they have to be able to score the ball more down inside the 20-yard line to find success. So there's, like I said, no no problem in, in throwing the ball downfield. They're averaging over 300 yards per game passing. So Derek Carr and the, and the, the bevy of wide receivers I was talking about earlier will be an interesting thing to see how the Browns defend it because they're defending the pass really well. I mean, Roethlisberger week one sort of put on a display, but I feel like the Browns have adjusted how they're attacking pass coverage since in terms of getting a lot of those yards came against Body Calhoun. Uh, in the slot and they've adjusted kind of removing him from the slot so it'll be interesting the Browns have had two really good weeks of pass coverage against who they've played and and uh you know the 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 Oakland 
offense will present a little bit of a challenge. Now, Oakland's thin up front. Their left tackle is Colton Miller, who Miles Garrett abused in college out of UCLA. And then right tackle is Donald Penn, but Donald Penn looks so out of shape. I hope he plays. He looks really lethargic and slow. I know he left with an injury. The guy, I can't, his name is escaping me right now, who replaced him, uh, is not was not any better from what I've been led, you know, what Ted kind of told me or led me to believe. TJ Clemmings is his name. He was not any better. His, his season-long PFF score is down in the low 50s. So it is going to be interesting to see how the Browns generate some pass rush. I think Oakland's relatively solid at the guard center guard spot, so I don't know how much pressure will come from there. But they have the advantage on the edges, so I hope to see that, you know, be taken advantage of. Yeah, if we can, uh, I think this is another team. I think they get the ball out quickly. They do. So, you know, if we can just um, if we can get them to hang on to that ball a little bit, then uh, I, we definitely have some advantages there. Uh, you know, just another quick pass team. You know, they get the ball out, uh, you know, essentially about as quick as uh, the Saints do. You know, they, they got that quick passing game. It's very short. Uh, the West Coast offense. Uh, but yeah, if we can get them at all to hang on to that ball for three seconds, I think uh, we can get home. Yeah, no, you're right, man. I think that's going to be a big part of things. The Browns struggled in wide receiver screen game last week. It's been no secret they've struggled over, over these two years. So I expect Oakland to throw a lot of that stuff. I w- it would be silly for them not to plan on throwing that stuff. The Browns, I just did a YouTube video on it yesterday. The Browns were pretty lethargic in their approach to playing inside-outside, which is called you know that sort of banjo stuff where you're exchanging inside and outside. They didn't keep lane discipline, which is a really big problem. So if they're going to defend wide receiver screen game while they can't have two guys pursuing outside leaving a you know an open tunnel inside sort of thing that's that's the problem that they were having so you hope they fix it but I would expect Oakland to do a heavy amount of wide receiver screens quick throws uh slants things of that nature to get the ball out fast and 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 sort of mitigate that edge pressure that the Browns should be able to put on uh put on uh, their car it should be all I mean it should be all game there should be between Gennard Ogba's back, Chris Smith's relatively quick off the edge, and, and Miles. It should be a a sort of driving Derek Carr up in the pocket game plan. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, you know, getting into these matchups, uh, let's talk about uh, Jordy a little bit. Who do you think that we're going to have uh, on Jordy? Like, he seems like, uh, you know, obviously he doesn't have the, the legs that he used to, but yeah, he sure looks effective in the slot. Uh, and I'm wondering who the Browns might try and put on him. W- what do you think about uh, how Greg will try and deal with Jordy in the slot? I mean, my guess would be a name Oakland fans are familiar with, TJ Carey. We'll play him a little bit. They've traveled Denzel to the slot when Denzel was lined up on Robbie Anderson a few times last week. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what they'll do. If it were my guess, I would have a level of comfort traveling Terrence Mitchell with him wherever he goes and having Amari Cooper okay. be shadowed by, uh, obviously, Denzel Ward. But I, they, might, they might do a little bit of keep home sort of uh, attitude and, and, and have whoever go wherever he goes and and trust TJ Carey in the slot. I think that that's just a matchup you have to feel like you can be okay with. I mean, Jordy's doing damage in the slot, but if Browns play a lot of single high safety stuff, they should be able to get wherever he goes to and give a little bit of help in those situations. So I would expect them to not do anything crazy. They found ways to get Jordy the ball and find success, especially against Miami. Miami actually took their first-round pick. A lot of Cleveland fans know the name Minka Fitzpatrick and put Minka back at free safety. And had I'm not sure who they had shadowing him in the slot when he did travel into the slot but that was a problem 
they, they, they did not cover him well. It should be a big piece of focus for the Browns this week. And I, I think Kerry can do it. I mean, he's, he's had a couple of stronger performances. He's had a, he had a rough camp, obviously, but I, I, I don't, I can't recall. What's what's his size? How big is? Uh, um, give me give me just a second here. We'll figure this out. I think he's average size. I don't think he's short by any stretch, and I don't think he weighs little uh, by any stretch either. Hang on, let me let me check. Give me two seconds. Sure. Uh, he comes in at five eleven, two ten. So yeah, I mean, average height, weight, sort of thing. Yeah, decent yeah. weight. Uh, all right, so he's got some size. Uh, he might he might be able to handle that. Yeah, I, I I would imagine they'll try a little bit of everything. But my guess is you would keep Denzel on Amari Cooper because you don't want Amari Cooper to do much, and then you kind of take your chances with the other two. It, and it might be carries on um, Nelson in the slot, and then on the outside you have Martavis Bryant when they're in thirteen. You know, sorry, when they're in eleven personnel, and they have three wide receivers, you can. You can have Kerry, or sorry, Mitchell on, on Martavis Bryant too. So the, the Browns are fine. Their top three matchup okay with these top three receivers. So it'll it'll just be who wins those battles. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I get you there. And I, I'm so glad that um, you know I um, I had said this earlier in the week that you know the uh, the short week was a little unfortunate uh, as far as being this early in the season. But at the same respect. Um, you know, it comes at a good time because the Browns were banged up in a lot of areas and uh, we had a chance to get healthy. And somebody even made fun of me for um, on Twitter for mentioning that maybe we'll get the valve back. But guess what? We do. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm glad to have uh, Agba back. That's going to be huge for the defensive line. But I'd like to talk a little bit about Devalve. Like, uh, you know, I know that there was a lot of talk about uh, Haley really liking him and I'm really happy to have him back. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of Browns fans, I don't think, seem to realize that, uh, you know, I think he led the team in receptions um, outside of running back last year. Uh, how do you think uh, DeValve gets folded into this game? Slowly. I, it'll be – the whole thing's going to be interesting because we don't know – all we have really is that half of Mayfield football. So we don't really have the best idea of how they're going to use multiple tight ends. I mean, Hugh used them last year quite a bit. And I think they use multiple tight ends in certain situations so far this year. Like there were week one, several situations where they had 13 personnel and had Fells, DeValve and uh, Najoku on the field all at the same time. I would prefer that they limit the snaps for Fells moving forward. I haven't seen a guy who blocks as well as I was hoping for. And that's what they use him to do a majority of the time. So I would like to think they get DeValve on the field a little bit more, but it's tough. To, it's tough to say, John, it's, they could they could wrinkle him in here and there. He'll probably get a target or two, but I don't know. It, it, it's just going to depend. The Browns were in a lot of eleven personnel late in the half yesterday, or sorry Thursday, and that leads me to believe Najoku will be the only tight end on the field pretty often. Yeah, they don't seem very uh, enthused about putting uh, Najoku and. Uh, devalve on the field at the same time for whatever reason that is you know to me like you know it's fun to think about what you could do say with uh callaway uh, you have callaway and uh and jarvis and then devalve and uh and njoku and say duke johnson and if you put those guys on the field like to me 
you can do all kinds of things with that personnel on the field. You know, you could, you could line them up in all kinds of different ways. You know, you could empty it out. You could, uh, you can run the ball. You could do all kinds of things there. And I'd love to see them do that. I just, I'm just not sure that they're going to. I'm giving them the, the, the benefit of the doubt that they can get creative more. They have a quarterback who I think can handle the creativity. So I'm going to kind of, see it as pushing the reset button, if you know what I mean. So I, I'm just going to see this moving forward with a quarterback. I mean, obviously Mayfield's still young, but there's a level of ability within the offense that Mayfield brings that Taylor didn't. So I would like to see them add more wrinkles with Duke running sort of flat motion every now and again, or Duke, like they put him out at X and they let him run a sort of square in return that he got that first down on. It's They, they need to use these guys – as they have them and try to pin. And if you talk about the best at what they do play calling wise, you know, the Petersons or the McVeighs and, 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 you know, flip was on last night with Minnesota or, you know, the other name, you know, Andy Reed with Pat Mahomes, what are they doing? Well, well, they're putting these guys in advantageous matchups. So we need to see more of that. So if you watch last night, McVeigh continually found ways to target wide receivers against Anthony Barr. And they just, they just emasculated him all night. I mean, they, they, I would like to look at the target numbers if PFF has him out today. I'd imagine he went – whoever they were targeting against Barr went for 200 yards. Like, that's just how it was. You, you want to find ways to get your skill position guys, your fast players on players that cannot keep up with them. If that's a linebacker, if that's a safety, you know what I mean? However you do that, that's what the best in the business are doing right now. So if I'm Todd – Haley, and I'm sitting with whoever, Ken Zampese, or if Hugh's involved in the game plan, however they do it, I don't know how that dynamic is shaking out. But how do we get those matchups? Do we use a guy in motion to offset bump coverage kind of thing? It is, it is something that coaches figure out in a, in a game plan. You can tell by you know, favorite coverages and situations, things like that. When can we catch them in man? All of those things. So those are the things that I would like to see in, in, in a bit more going forward where it's like, oh, they have Duke Johnson running down the field against the linebacker. That's a good thing. So that's what you want to see. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly, you know, why it excites me to like think about that set that I was just talking about, you know, where you got you got a double tight end set, but both great receivers that can run good routes and then you got Duke Johnson. And if you can like say get that against a base defense, I mean Good Lord, uh, you know, good luck defending, you know, if you have a creative play caller uh, and uh, and they're good at what they're doing, then, uh, man, it, it seems like it'd be pretty easy to say, you know, find your huckleberry on yeah. defense and just attack. Yeah, and it should, it should be. They have enough weapons. They've never really used flat motion. They use orbit, which is the difference I called, and, and some teams phrase it differently based on vernacular, but anything that's flat motion was called jet. And anything that was over the top was called orbit. So they use the orbit stuff often, the over-the-top motion for reverses, things of that nature. Did it in the preseason and uh, sprinkled in and in the. Do you mind, real quick, like uh, just for people that don't know, can you like uh, quickly like kind of verbalize the difference between jet and orbit? Yeah. So jet, obviously, when you name stuff for football, you name it in ways that make sense. You try to make it make sense, um, sort of phonetically and in a visual capacity. So if I picture what a jet does, a jet shoots out and it goes straight. So motion is obviously always going to be east and west, horizontally. No matter what it is in nature, that's what it is. So we named J 
jet as a flat, quick sprint motion that is right in front of the quarterback. Okay. So it's, it's, it's something you see a lot of college teams do and something, if you pay attention to the NFL, like Tyree kill is the big guy doing that. Brandon cooks does that sort of stuff. The, the, it's a really hard sprint motion that you're trying to sell a quick handoff to that guy to hold down linebackers or safeties or fake that, like I said, to hold down linebackers and safeties and try to play action off of it. So it's nice because it, it causes that second of eye manipulation in the hold and, and your stance. So if you think you can gain leverage by a quick handoff, like that catch, like I think you've seen Pat Mahomes have a couple of catch and flip. Like I think Ohio State used to do with Car- or, uh, Cardale and JT all the time where they would catch, flip it, and beat somebody to the corner. Ohio State used to do it with a guy named Jalen Marshall back in the day, if you guys recall that name. So, Ooh, man, that's- yeah, so you, you're really just catching it, flipping it, or you catch it and hand it off and go. But that's what teams use it for. Eye manipulation or, hey, we got quick leverage. Let's hand it off and beat somebody to the corner and gain some yardage. Orbit, if you think of orbit, you think of orbiting the earth, you think it's kind of a, it's an arc or a circle. So orbit, in my mind, has always kind of been, it's going to be a motion that loops high and around the formation. That's going to loop behind the quarterback and running back, or if it's an empty set, just behind the quarterback. So teams use that um, for reverse action. You've seen the Browns use it with Callaway reverse action. Teams use that with faking inside zone and then throwing it out wide on bubble screens. All that that does is another level of holding down somebody responsible for that player. So that's what it is. And, and we have a whole bunch of different names for motions from the tight end. Um, and, and the Z receiver is typically your flanker. Uh, he is going to be off the ball. You obviously to go in motion. You have to be off the ball. So we would call, if it was a Z going across the formation, Zach, Z-A-C, Z across. If it was Z in short motion, just like the, you see teams all the time run, just kind of scoot him in and stack him on a receiver, we called it Zen for Z in. If it was an in and out motion, we would call it Zoom, going in and then back out. It's just names for ways you can remember certain things. If we wanted the tight end, like the Browns using the Joku all the time to kind of go into the center and then bump his way back out, we would call, you would just call that Y Zoom. Yeah. You would just tag who's going in motion and Y Zoom. If you wanted back, your back, usually in offenses, this, and this, again, it, it deviates from place to place. If you wanted your back out in motion, you would just call it, the back would labeled with an A, most typically, when a playbook system. So your X is a, your, your split end receiver on the ball, backside of the formation, your tight end's a Y, your, 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 your flanker's a Z, and your, your kind of hybrid receiver is a K, or some people name it an H, back in the Percy Harvin, Florida days, they name it an H-back. A guy can do a little bit of in the slot, can do in the backfield, that hybrid player. We called it, we tagged it a K in college. And then, you know, you have your fullback kind of hybrid that you can put in the wing and stuff like that. We called that a U-back, like a utility back, a guy who could be in the backfield or a guy who could be in the wing. That's sort of what they're doing with Orson Charles right now. So we called that a U, but that's not universally known kind of thing. But anyway, if we wanted back out, we would just call literally A out. If that's what we wanted him to, like, you take the back, he's going to step up a couple steps and then run out in motion to the outside, and he would align outside. You can kind of unfold, is it going to be man or zone when they do that? So, yeah, there's a ton of different things, but motion-wise, the Browns don't use a ton of it. I would like them to do a little bit more flat motion stuff to hold people down. That's what Baker did at Oklahoma. It's, it's second nature to him. So there might be some of those wrinkles we see on Sunday. Yeah, that's a good segue, too, because uh, that's something I'm, uh, I'm hoping to see a lot of. I think um, when you're talking about game planning against Baker Mayfield, there's not a lot of weakness, I think, in his game. It's not something like 
you know, where they can, you know, cut off the deep because he can't make those throws or, you know, uh, <clears throat> things of that nature. Uh, so what I would like to see, because I think that the, the game plan should be for defenses against Baker is to try and confuse him pre-snap because this is where he, he's strong. You know, a lot of people, uh, they're, you know, if you're a detractor, what you saw this week is, you know, people would talk about how, oh, yeah, Baker was hitting his first read uh, quite a bit, whatever. But the reality of the matter is, and I think you'll agree, is that Baker is assessing these things really well pre-snap. And that's why he's hitting his first read, because that's where he knows he's going based on what he's seeing pre-snap. And I think that, you know, the the way to attack Baker as a rookie here would be to try and, you know, confuse him or uh, fool him pre-snap and and then roll out into combo coverages or or things like that. Uh, So I would like to see them using motion uh, quite a bit so that, you know, they can help Baker as much as possible pre-snap identifying coverages. No, absolutely. It's it's no secret that Mayfield's pre to post was really successful against the Jets. I, I think the teams that will do best trying to manipulate him will disguise coverage in, in the pre and post, make it look different, take it from cover three, roll your strong safety back to cover two, that kind of stuff. Baker has a see it, throw it mentality where if you're bringing pressure, he's going to find, you know, he's going to find where that answer is pretty quickly. So I'm always a fan of if you're going to try to slow Mayfield down, Disguise stuff, pre-snap, sugar blitz, uh, sort of sugar the A-gaps, which what that means is walk down linebackers. Greg Williams does it all the time. Walk down your linebackers and put them right over the center and kind of one drops, one comes, where both show and both bail or both show and both go. You have options out of that. That causes problems for quarterbacks who aren't altogether too tall. So, um, you know, because it kind of inhibits their immediate view of the middle of the field if you can take away some easy answers on the outside. But play trap coverage, play you know, stuff that looks like cover four and, and have it be a, a cover two look, show four, play two. You know, if you're a quarterback and you line up and the depth of the corners is pretty similar to the depth of the two high safeties, you're thinking cover four. If I come up to the line of scrimmage and I see two high safeties with corners at a different tier, I'm thinking cover two could be cover six, which is a down corner into the boundary. But you're always kind of, you're kind of pre-snap getting a picture of what the defense is going to do. And then you're taking it and, shifting it to what it is post-snap. You kind of know in your mind, what can they do with the pre-snap? How can they change it post-snap? Here's who I have to key in on. Now, Baker has always shown the ability to identify those things. Quarterbacks are going to be fooled every now and again. There's just like, if you look at Kirk Cousins last week against Buffalo, he was fooled several times, and he's a veteran. Like it's, just going to ha- it's just going to happen. You know, and this week he throws for 440 yards. It, 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 it's Week to week, it's going to happen. So uh, the, most, the, the biggest thing you're trying to do is diagnosing quickly between, between pre- and post-snap. Defensive coordinators, the best ones, will try to manipulate what you see pre-snap, what you see on the snap, and then roll somebody into where, like, if, the, if you bring two off of an edge, roll a safety down to take away an easy answer. Or if you bring two off the edge, drop a, or sorry, if you bring two off the interior, drop a D-tackle into a window that you can kind of catch them in a zone blitz. That, that's, that's what they should be doing. So it'll be important for Oakland to have what I call rush lane discipline, staying upfield, but kind of in Mayfield's window, don't get too far upfield that you open up the middle of the field for him. That happened to the Jets several times. And then, you know, obviously keeping him maintained in the pocket because when he gets outside the pocket, he can do some things too. So it's, it, there are ways to play Mayfield that he, he is 
sort of shown a, a tendency to struggle with. It'll be interesting to see if Oakland does those things. Yeah, that'll that will definitely be interesting. I, I guess you know uh, it. There's not a ton of tape of this, but, it, you know, you can go back to his college uh, tape and, and figure out uh, where he got confused and uh, and try and do that. That's probably their best avenue to try and prepare. Um, but, uh, you know, moving on here to, you know, what a Browns win would look like. What do you think we have to do to secure a win out in Oakland this week? Take care of the football first. They cannot. They got to continue to to hang on to the turnover battle uh, that they've been winning. Taking care of the football will be paramount. Special teams are going to have to improve. They're going to have to win. They haven't. I don't think they've won a special teams battle yet. To be honest, I, I, if they can win that level of the game, that immediately increases their chances, uh, in my opinion. So they have to be better in special teams, and then they have to to show that their offense can obviously maintain the level of success that they found the week before. Can they still find that run pass balance? Can they, can they have a high completion percentage as a group? Those things. I think if they play an average offensive game, the defense stays at the level it's been at and they win special teams. You come out of Oakland with a win. Yeah. I, you know, I, unfortunately I don't have a ton of hope uh, on fixing at least the coverage portion of the, uh, well, I guess that that should be the thing you can correct. I just don't have any faith in it. Um, I, I've been really upset with uh, the kick coverage, just, you know, holding my breath every time we kick the ball in one way or another. Uh, but, um, yeah, I agree. I, I think, you know, if we can, uh, like I mentioned earlier, if we can just kind of take that uh, first read away uh, in this quick uh, quick pass offense, and uh, then I think we get home. I think that's like the you know, definitely where we should be looking defensively. If we can just take that first read away, it, that alone might be enough uh, for our guys to get home. I'm, I'm super excited to have, uh, you know, Ogba back. Uh, I know that there's a good section of uh, Cleveland fans that still don't appreciate him, but uh, he's a good player. He's a very good player, and it's really good to have him back. Uh, you know, especially, you know, in the run D where, you know, we've struggled a little bit, you know, not, not terribly, but we've struggled a little bit and uh, it'll be nice to have him there to deal with Lynch and, and those guys. And uh, I think that, uh, yeah, some creativity, I'd like to see some motion uh, so that we can keep Baker with his, you know, getting as much information as he can pre-snap moving that ball and, uh, I think that's the key. I think uh, what I would like to see uh, for a Browns win is just on that defensive side. You know, the, you mentioned the fumbles. Uh, we are, you know, in statistical terms, extremely lucky to this point with recovering fumbles, you know, between the ones that we fumbled and the ones that our opponents have fumbled. So that's not sustainable. So uh, I'd like to see us stop fumbling because we're not going to recover at the rate that uh, that we have been. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think if we just can kind of keep doing what we're doing here, take away that first read. I think we'll be looking pretty good. Yeah. The fumble stuff is very interesting when you think, I mean, I'm not sure how many Tyrod had and Baker had it's, it is, I think a couple of them have been avoidable. I don't think what I'm getting at is I don't think the Browns fumbles have been very bad. Like, Tyrod fumbled one that was right in front of his face. Higgins fumbled one out of bounds. The Duke fumble on the sideline was really fluky. 
So I think the Browns are creating fumbles that are of a high, this is going to sound stupid, but I'll say it, of a higher quality of fumble on defense in terms of how they're getting the football no, out. Yeah, like the strip sack stuff where it's, it's within structure. Like Tyrod's two fumbles were on sort of scramble plays where he fumbled it on his own. Nobody really caused it. They were really weird fumbles. But the Browns are generating strip sacks that are off the edge and like within where the offense is not expecting to have to do anything other than block, and that's where you get fumble recoveries. Do you know what I mean? And then the TJ Carey strips were really effective within the Browns having four guys around one guy type of thing. So I think the Browns are generating defensively a more quality fumble than what their offense is doing. Like they, I don't think a running back has a fumble, which is awesome. Knock on wood, obviously. But I feel like I haven't watched the Browns and feel like they've not taken care of the football. I feel like they've been really sound. Yeah, like I feel like they've been really sound in terms of taking care of the football with the fumble aspect of things. A couple bad interceptions, obviously, but um, yeah, that's just kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, you're right, though, John. Those numbers are probably going to level out to a certain extent, but I don't see any reason why with the way the defense is playing that they've they've made their luck. There haven't been any, like, really weird poke out in the middle of a pile type things. I feel like they've, they've stripped the ball away on their own effort you know what I mean? Not not just oh look look looks looks like a guy put his hand right in the perfect spot and that sort of just happens. You know what I mean? It's been the punch outs by Mitchell or the strip rip by Denzel Ward or the strip sacks by Jannard Avery and Miles Garrett and that kind of stuff. No, that's a really good point. It, it is. Um, you know, they definitely. You know, like you said, you, you thought it might sound stupid, but I agree a hundred percent that uh, they have been more quality. Like it's a weird thing to say, but um, I think it gets the point across uh, that they definitely have made their own luck there. They are going for those things. Um, so yeah, that's a good point. Um, how about some props here? So uh, I got the prop list up. Uh, you know, how um, take a look at that list and uh, what are you thinking for this week? Okay, so we're picking. I have 500 points to play with again. Is that right? Oh, I suck at this. Okay, so what I'm taking this week, I'm going to take the guy I think Baker is going to benefit, top two benefit, Najoku over 50 yards. I'm going to take Jarvis. I'm doing all 100. This is my staple for the year. Uh, sure. Jarvis under a, a half a drop. So on that over under guys, it's just going to be, does Jarvis drop one ball or not? I don't think he does. Um, he's, he's definitely turned up the jugs machine. So I know he's working on it yeah. and you don't drop anything normally. So that's right. Yeah. I'm trusting him. I'm going to go Oakland over a hundred yards rushing. Um, and then I'm going to take Baker over one and a half touchdown passes. He's going to end up with two, two and a pick is my guess. And then I'm going to take the Browns plus two and a half because if they win, Obviously, I get it, but I think if they, they lose on a last-second field goal, I think it'll be to beat them like 21-19 or something something like that. All right, that sounds solid. Uh, I'll tell you what I'm going to go with uh, right off the rip. I'm going to do a Callaway over 90 yards receiving, and the reason is because I have watched uh, two-and-a-half games now of Callaway beating people, and uh, for the most part, Tyrod's inability to get him that ball, and I think Baker makes those balls. And uh, so I'm feeling really good about Callaway uh, turning up the heat here and getting over 90 yards receiving. Uh, so I'm going to go for that with 100. I'm going to go also with uh, Nijoku over 50 yards. I think uh, 
you saw a little bit of a difference right away when Baker came in the game. And uh, you know, I've been high on Njoku. I was a little worried early on that, you know, maybe we weren't going to see the step up that uh, we all expected. But I think now we're going to see that. So I'll take that for 100. Uh, I'll definitely go under on the Jarvis uh, 0.5 drops. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I'm going to... You know, I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take Cleveland for sure. I think they're going to win. I think they're going to, you know, I, like I said early on in the show, I'm not taking it for granted. I think that this Oakland team is much better than their record. Uh, I'm not trying to disrespect them by saying this, but I think that uh, this offense is hungry, and uh, if Baker can deliver that football like he was uh, in the half that he played, uh, I don't think that. I certainly do not think that Cleveland is going to come in there. Uh, and just expect a win. So I expect a good attitude, and I think we're going to go in there and get a win against against <clears throat> excuse me uh, Gruden and uh, and these Raiders. So um, I'm very excited for Sunday. Those are my bets. Um, you know, uh, you can find me John Colosimo uh, at J Cosmo on uh, Twitter. Uh, you can find Jake in a number of places uh, and all kinds of uh, <clears throat> podcasts these days. <laughs> you know, Jake, uh, you want to tell them where you can find? Oh, and also talk about uh, the, the new deal on the Orange and Brown Report. Yeah, so Jake Burns, at Jake uh, underscore Burns 18 is where I'm at on Twitter. And then the at Browns film, BDN, is always going to have content, numbers, things like that that you guys might be looking for. And then, yeah, we're kind of pushing the OBR as sort of the new home. I've, I've sort of taken the lead with their X and O stuff, partly because uh, John Stevenson, who's done a lot of their work, which is he's at All-22 Chalk Talk. He coaches midseason, so he's working here in Columbus, Ohio, as a, as a defensive coordinator. So he gets swamped, and he can't really produce as much content until the season's over. So I've kind of taken the, the lead on that. Eventually, a lot of what I'm doing will go – to the orange and brown report in terms of Monday breakdowns, things like that, as we work out how that'll all work. But yeah, I, w- I would really suggest getting on and, and getting a subscription there. I know spending money isn't always everybody's favorite, but if you're a diehard Browns fan, you get a lot of in-depth content. You're getting a lot of the X and O stuff from me, which you won't find on really anybody else in Cleveland site. Uh, you know, even the athletic cleveland.com, some of those things, I think you can find more information from what we're doing than any of those. And they're not really even doing it like we're doing it. So you're going to learn a lot. Lane obviously is going to provide a lot of insider Intel. You're going to get obviously columns weekly from Jared Mueller, uh, you know, and, and, and people in Fred Greetham on the beat, who's going to give you guys all the inside locker room information too. So it's under 10 bucks a month. You get to try it for seven days free. See if it's worth your time. You're going to get three or four articles out of me every week covering the X and O side. So I encourage you guys, if you, if you care about the Browns from all angles, jump on the OBR, log in, uh, create an account and, uh, and join. It's, it's like I said, under $10 a month, which is a good deal better than most give you and you're going to get a whole bunch of insider access to a bunch of different things when you when you do sign up yeah i mean i'm a member myself so um and i have been so uh, excited to see you join that team and uh, get that opportunity and definitely you guys check that out uh and i do uh, you know as we're signing off here i i do want to give a shout out you know we've you know we've experienced uh, a lot of growth over the last couple of weeks you know we're seeing uh guys downloading the show from Ireland, from 
uh, England. Uh, we got two guys apparently in Vietnam every week. Uh, so good morning, Vietnam. <laughs> and the, you know, uh, we get uh, some India ones. We get some South America. So, you know, we're, uh, we're kind of worldwide here, you know, Australia. Uh, I'm really happy with the reception that we've got. Um, you know, so thank you. And, uh, you know, continue to share the show. Um, you know, that's the best way you can help us out right now. And I uh, just want to say thank you uh, for tuning in and uh, keep keep listening because uh, we're going to keep uh, going with this stuff. So uh, anyway, uh, wrapping it up here, I'm excited for Sunday. So uh, let's go Brownies, right? That's right, man. Let's go Browns. Let's jump uh, into our first two wins two-game win streak since maybe, I think, 2014. It, it would be neat to see. It would kind of put us on the forefront of the map. It'll be important to get out up early on Oakland because if they're heading toward 0-4 and they're down early, it'll be it'll be something to watch out there in terms of the fan frustration. So, yeah, let's go Browns, and uh, hopefully we can, we can talk Sunday night to 2-1-1, my friend. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.